Starting Pinchas, and you know we're getting closer to the end of the history of the Torah, and I think one thing that is striking about the uh, about the history and about the uh, Torah's recording of the events is that a lot of the events that took place are not flattering, and still, you know, today we know there is a uh, a very common uh, practice to uh, play around with history to try to uh, make uh, it look more uh, more appealing. You know, when you're teaching to your students, you know, like your past history and the different countries, they want to put their events in a better light. So they try to change and revisionist. They try to revise history and just to make it look, you know, more uh, more pleasant. But the Torah, you know, records, you know, various different uh, facts that are, some of them were, you know, pretty, um, you know, uh, embarrassing, you know, for the for the Jewish people. And um, it's, it's recorded there, and we always see, you know, the righteous person, uh, coming, coming out and taking a stand. You know, it's, it's still about the same thing. You know, and I say a lot of times. You know, a lot of these things change. You know, the players change. You know, with time. But some of the, the, the values and the messages. You know, are as are pertinent today as they were then. You know, it's just, it's, it's, it's amazing how. You know, the science and the medicine and the advancement, technology, computers. It seems like our lives have changed so much. But people remain just the same people. You know, people are just the same. <laughs> the, the characteristics, the emotional, the qualities and the shortcomings of people, to a certain extent, you know, when we read. Uh, and the reason we read about it is not just because it's a nice story. It's not just recording the history. Because we find a lot of things are not recorded. The reason we read about it is because we have to learn from this. There's some message. There's a message to to take um, take to our to our heart. Now, the story that we're going to discuss is a pretty gruesome story that took place. But the the uh, the message, though, is what he's trying to tell you here is that there was a fellow by the name Pinchas who wasn't afraid to take a stand. Uh, he wasn't afraid to take a stand, notwithstanding the fact that it was in the present and in two, I guess, and on two, on two levels, and in different, uh, in different uh, uh, directions. On one level, the smell of Pinchas, he wasn't the top person in the community. Who is this Pinchas? This portion is called Pinchas. We're going to learn now the portion of Pinchas. Who is this Pinchas? Pinchas, as the, the verse begins, we'll see, was the son of Eloz and Aaron And why don't we start learning the Parsha inside, and then we're going to see what it says. Okay, so let's start. Uh, we'll start with Warren. Hi. Oh. Warren. Start with Warren. Okay. Okay. Let's, let's see. Oops. You saw the sitting on the front of the grass. You did? 
Okay, so we'll start with verse uh, 10 and 11. Okay. The Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Pinchas, the son of Eleazar, the son of Aaron, the Kohen, has turned a- my anger away from the, cha- the children of Israel by his, by his zealously avenging me among them, so that I did not destroy the children of Israel because of my zeal. My zeal. Okay, so let's first start with who this Pinchas was. So how do we say over here who was Pinchas? Pinchas, the son of Elazar, the son of Aaron the Kohen. Can we place them? Pinchas, the son of Elazar, the son of Aaron the Kohen. There's a grandson. Aaron's grandson. Who was Aaron? Moses' brother. Great. Moses was who? The leader. And Aaron was who? High priest. The high priest. Good. The Kohen Gadol. He was the high priest. How many children did Aaron have? Four. Two of them died, and he was left with two. Elazar and Isamar. Earlier in the portion, we talk about Nadav and Avihu, but then Elazar and Isamar were left. Nadav and Avihu died. We're not going to go recount the story again. But Elazar had a son. And his name was what? Pinchas. Now, Pinchas, up till this point over here, he wasn't really mentioned in distinction uh, in, any, uh, in any way in the Torah. The Torah does talk about Moses and Aaron, of course. It also talks about Elazar and Itamar. Because Elazar and Itamar, being the sons of Aaron, uh, they sort of were in charge of the Levium and of different things, we find Elazar being in charge. Matter of fact, now that Aaron, Moses' brother, died, as we read in the previous portion, uh, as we're going to see, Elazar takes over his father's position, and Moses is now, together with Elazar, you know, leading the Jewish people, instead of Moses and Aaron. But Pinchas, this was Elazar's son, Pinchas, he wasn't mentioned for any distinction, or any special tasks up till this point, what happened? The reason I'm saying that is, Pinchas was not the top of the echelon over there. He wasn't of the top people. Yes, he was in the house of Aaron. He came from Elazar. Yes, he was a... Uh, not only that, as we're going to see, uh, this Pinchas, up till this point, he wasn't even a priest. He wasn't even a coin up till this point. So you're going to ask, what does it mean? But he was the son of Aaron. The son of Elazar, then the son of Aaron. Isn't the priesthood passed on by the lineage, by son after, uh, after father, after their father? Yes, that is very true. But Pinchas was different. Because, why was Pinchas different? We have to go back to the story when they became the Kohanim. When they became the priests, basically, how did they become the priests? God anointed them. God told Moses to anoint them. There was a special anointing oil. They called the Sheven Hamishcha, the anointing oil. They took all the Kohanim, the priests, and they anointed them with the anointing oil. From the moment they got the anointing oil on them, they turned into priests. They became consecrated to God as servants of God. And they became the Kohanim. Now, any of the children that they had 
following that consecration, they became holy as Kohanim, automatically were Kohanim. The only people that were consecrated was Aaron, Elazar, and Esomer, the two sons. As I said, Nadav and Aviyu had already died. So it was Elazar and Esomer that were consecrated. Now, any children that Elazar and Esomer had after they were consecrated, after they became, they had the anointing oil, then those children were Kahanim automatically. But Pinchas was already born to Elazar at the time that they anointed him with the anointing oil. So Pinchas didn't quite make it into a coin. Pinchas was not a coin because at the time they anointed them, Pinchas was alive and he wasn't anointed because they didn't anoint all of Aaron's children and grandchildren. They only anointed Aaron, Elazar, and Itamar. Aaron and his two sons. And any of the children that would be born from Elazar and Itamar would become Kohanim. But Pinchas was already alive at that time. He was Elazar's son. But he was alive and he didn't get anointed. Until this story, as we're going to read the next verse, two verses, God makes him into a Kohen. You see, sometimes people do become Kohanim later on. You know that story with the one who wanted to become a Kohen. Sometimes, but you've you got to do something like that by Pinchas. But what I, what I started to speak about today was, Pinchas was not even a Kohen, so he wasn't a, uh, a big player over there, in the sense that he wasn't have any special positions at the time. How come he was left out? I mean, when they... He wasn't. He wasn't left out because, by definition, only there was only Aaron's two sons that were supposed to be Kohanim. Why? Would, why are you calling that left out? I mean, me and you were left out too, you know. But uh, I no, mean, but he, he was alive, and and you know, he was part of the family. But just being the family didn't mm-hmm. make he missed, them he missed privileged. The cutoff. He missed the cutoff. Did. But, but how could that be? Because who did all the work in the in, in the Mishkan? Well, um, the... Um, you have three people doing all the work. Well, uh, but they had children. Elazar and Esomer, their children that they had following them becoming Kohanim, all became Kohanim. But it takes time for them yeah. Yeah. to be born and grow up and everything else. Yeah, so it was actually, the three of them did the... the um, it was just Aaron, and then at this point, Pinchas came in, but this was already 40 years later. But in the beginning... Uh, they were the only ones that served in the temple, actually. Yeah, yeah. It just feels you know, like he was left out. You know, yeah, just no. But actually, let me just say to you, no, no, sorry, but let me just say to you, but he got it back. I mean, yeah. God meant he but got he it back. he wasn't the only child. There was other Mishnah children. Uh, the good question. The question is, did Elazar have any other children? Uh, did Elazar have any other children that were born at the time that they were consecrated when they were made when they put the anointing oil who did not become Kohanim I don't know the answer of hand I'd like to take a look at the parsha see the lineage of this but I don't have the answer of hand but when you're talking about Kohanim there were a lot of Kohanim doing work yeah but this is that's the assumption but this portion that's right yeah Yeah, but this this is what the uh, we see from this from this story over here but I was trying what I was trying to say is um on one hand, Pinchas, who was not yet a Kohen, and also um, wasn't the, 
you know, considered from the leadership over there at the time, or at least we don't find Pinchas's name mentioned in the Torah uh, outside of, not in any role that we find any uh, leadership role. Um, but nevertheless, he did not say, he did not pass the buck and say, hey, you know what? If somebody has to take an act, if somebody is there to take uh, uh, an act, why am I responsible? There are people who are more learned, there are people who are more affluent, there are people who are holier than me. Let them take. If there is action to be taken, why should I be the one taking the action when everybody around me doesn't take any action? I told you of the reading I read in the, uh, the Science Museum, they have a statement from uh, Einstein who says that the world is... Uh, a dangerous place, not so much for the people that do evil, but for all that stand around and do nothing about it. Mm-hmm. So it is the, uh, you know, everybody says, you know, well, I'm gonna, why am I going to do, I'm going to, why should I take a stand, why should I uh, do something about it, let me just let it, uh, let me just let it go. Um, Pilchus didn't say that. And then again, um, what is the um, what is the um, you know obligation? So there was a an adulterous relationship that was taking place over there, uh, and it was done in defiance of God. It was done in defiance of the rules, and it was done also in the, in a public display uh, against Moses and against the leadership and against God. Now again, mind you, I said, this is already, you know, a lot of times the Torah records stories which seem to be very degrading for the Jewish people. Here they're about to enter into the land of Israel, and then here they're having all these prohibited relationships that they shouldn't be having. And uh, and it was actually a public display by a leader of the tribe of the Shimon, it was a public display of defiance of the Torah and of Moshe by committing an adulterous relationship. And it wasn't sort of in a, uh, in a quiet way or in a way hidden, somebody wants to do something, but it was like a rebellious display. And actually a plague started, and there were 24,000 uh, Jews of the Jewish people that died in that plague. That doesn't seem right. Uh, there was also, there was also, listen, I'm not just telling you what the Torah says. So, if, <laughs> no, it's no, not no, my, it's, no, uh, it's, uh, no, uh, no I, I want to say, don't, don't, don't kill the messenger. <laughs> it's, <laughs> not my, it's not my, it's not my, no, no, no. No, no, but I'm saying, that's what I'm saying, it's, it's, yeah. But it wasn't only Zimri who did this hack. No, no. There were many yeah. other people that did this hack. There were, no, there was idol worship, there was idol worship, oh, right, no. there was prohibited relationships, and there was just a general mood of, okay. there was general mood of a rebellious kind of a mood. Uh, over there. And, you know, this plague, we see every time, this is a tool that is used by God. It happened after the uh, the the people with the uh, Korach, the, the fight over there, uh, by the Meraglim, by the Eagle, by all the different... Hashem punishes them by bringing a plague. That was a way of... of uh, I guess, in this, ki- in, this ki- in this case, you know, the numbers match for those people who committed 
the sin. But in any event, to make the, uh, the, the point that I'm trying to make over here, one of the people who was defiant to Moshe Rabbeinu was actually the leader of a tribe. So he wasn't just a ordinary person, but it was a leadership, it was a leader. And he was a big shot, you know, and he openly went and challenged Hashem, Moshe, the authority, and this is at their edge going into, almost going into Israel already, and after all the miracles and after beating the, in a supernatural way. And we also read last week, we read about these, this guy, uh, the non-Jewish prophet, whose name was Bilam, who was a Jew hater who tried to curse the Jewish people, and God turned all of his curses around to, uh, to blessings. It's not clear from the parsha in the in the simple text whether even the Jews knew about what was going on over there. That's another question. Whether I'm sure the commentators deal deal with this, but the way the Torah relates that incident, that whole story, it's, uh, takes up a better set part of the last week's section about the whole story, how he. Went with, they went to call him to curse, and he went with his donkey, and all of a sudden the donkey started to speak, and he started the whole, whole big thing, and then he finally tried to curse them three times, and then he told them every time it was turned for blessing, and you know, etc., etc., as we learned last week in the portion. Now, it doesn't even say that the Jewish people knew about it, but God did extend his kindness and his blessings for the Jewish people, in many different ways, and also physically they did win many uh, wars, so even if they weren't aware of what was taking place over there, there were great miracles, we read the Parsha Chukas, we read that there were actually two mountains, you hear that story, there were two mountains, and there was a valley in between, and the enemies, the, uh, uh, the Amorites, they were hiding in the caves, and they wanted to throw the rocks and the arrows on the Jews, while they were walking through in the valley on their road to Israel, and God made a miracle, and these two mountains came together and crushed all the Amorites that were hiding in there and trying to. And the Jews didn't even know about it till eventually they saw the Eshad Hanacholim, the 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 wells of water that carried all the dead, uh, you know, enemies who were trying to to kill them. I mean, it was war. There was a lot of enemies there, you know. I mean, uh, war isn't uh, is ugly, you know. It's not uh, not a pretty scene over there. But sometimes, you know, you got to do what you got to do, you know, to protect. But in any event, what I'm pointing, I'm trying to say, here you have the head of the tribe of Shimon, right, defiantly, openly going and doing, committing an adulterous relationship, and he says. Uh, uh, to everybody, I'll do it in front of everybody, he says, and I don't care about nothing. And Pinchas gets up, and by taking, when the verse says here, Bekamayas Kinosi, that he was uh, um, zealously avenging me among them, that's the way he turned away, so he killed them. He took a spear, he actually killed. He killed this Zimri, and Cosby, we'll see, those were the two people that had the adulterous relationship. And God says that he turned away my anger away from the children of Israel. He took it away. So that I did not so I did not destroy the children of Israel because of my zeal. Now 
Again, I'm going to ask the question again. Who was this Pinchas? Pinchas was the son of Elazar, the son of Aaron the Kohen. Why does the Torah have to tell us this, who Pinchas' father? If you just look, I mean, we don't have the Chumash of last week, the portion, it already identifies exactly who Pinchas was, that Pinchas was the son of Elazar, who was the son of Aaron the priest. Why does the Torah find it necessary to mention again that it was Pinchas, the son of Elazar, the son of Aaron the priest? Why not just say Pinchas, short? What do we got to say? And Rashi explains here that it was very important over here. Because Pinchas had another part to his lineage. On one side, on his father's side, he was the son of Eliezer. But on his mother's side, he was a daughter, his mother, on his mother's side, his mother was a daughter of Jethro. Now we know about Jethro because Jethro was also the father-in-law of Moses. Moses married Jethro's daughter. Moses' wife was Zipporah. Zipporah was Jethro's daughter. Now, apparently, over there we learned in the Chumash, in Jethro we learned that he had seven daughters. So it almost seems from Rashi, from Rashi's comment over here, that one of the other daughters went and married Elazar, his nephew. Okay. Now Jethro was a priest. He's referred to in uh, he's referred to in the uh, Chumash in Jethro. He's referred to in, he was the Koyan Oin. He was the priest of Oin. That priest means that he was like the uh, the person who worshipped the idol worshipper. He was the priest of the idol worshippers. Matter of fact, Rashi says that he worshipped all idols in the world. Eventually, he dropped it. But Jethro was very famous for being a very, uh, uh, a very involved with all different kinds of idols. There wasn't any idols that he left. Left. He did all, all. So it turns out that on his mother's side, uh, Pinchas's mother's side, his mother's his father, his grandfather was Jethro, and the people would see. Uh, you know, uh, it says that it said that his it says about Elazar. Elazar married a daughter of Putiel. It doesn't say a daughter of Jethro. It says a daughter of Putiel. What does the word Putiel mean? Putiel means like to stuff, like pitem. It also comes from the word to stuff. He would stuff his father would stuff animals for the idols. That means that's a derogatory. Uh, a derogatory comment. We need to understand why does the Torah refer to him over there in the word putiel in the derogatory sense. There is also a positive spin to the word putiel. Rashi brings it down earlier when it says putiel. It is also of Yosef who uh, she also comes from Yosef who pitpet be Yisrael, which has a positive. But that's another another discussion. But nevertheless, putiel means that his father. Uh, that her father, which means Elazar's wife, Pinchas' mother's, Pinchas' mother's father, his grandfather, uh, used to stuff animals to... Uh, but he changed uh, his uh, ways. He changed his ways. But the Jewish people said, do you see this guy? He had the audacity to kill a leader of Israel. The Zimri, the person he killed, I said, was a leader of the tribe of Shimon. 
or even if he wasn't the full leader of the tribe of Shimon, as Rashi will say later on, at least he was a leader of one of the five families in the Shimon dynasty. Because Shimon had five sons, and the five sons branched out to five dynasties. And according to Rashi later on, the Zimri, in one interpretation, was only the leader of one of these five families, not the leader of the entire Shimon family. But still, he had a position of distinction over there, Zimri. So the people, the Jewish people were saying, look who took action. This guy whose grandfather used to stuff himself, those calves, to the idols, he goes and he has the audacity to kill a leader of Israel. So therefore the Torah very important, pointedly says, no, no, no. Pinchas was the son of Elazar of Arna Koyen. He puts his lineage in perspective. That he is actually comes from very, very strong lineage. I don't know exactly what the message I would almost say, on the contrary. You know, to take a stand, this is almost, uh, the message over here is almost giving in to the complaint. So what is the message? The Torah say, no, 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 he had good lineage. Hey, wait a minute, what does it have to do about lineage over here? If he did the right thing to stand up, doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who who his grandfather was, especially, as you mentioned, his grandfather did tshuva, he separated, Rashi already says, he separated. There is various opinions whether he stayed along with the Jews in the desert, or he went back home to convert his family, or he came back, or whatever the story there is, there is various different midrash about it. But it's still, nevertheless, by Yitro himself, Jetro himself, we know, uh, became, separated himself from the idol worships. So, it wouldn't be such a bad message. The Torah is basically saying, no, 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 he has a good lineage over here. He comes from good stock, you know. He's Pilchus, <laughs> but I guess that's not really. The, 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 the thing is that the shame that they try to put on him, it's not the message. I mean, people were trying to shame him by some of his lineage. And the Torah is saying, no, this is his lineage. Not to say that he needs to be anything ashamed of that. We have to further interpret that. But it's just a thought that came, came to my mind as I was speaking. And then to see about what the message over here is. But in any event, he took a stand. And he took a stand, even though he wasn't the biggest big shot. He took a stand. And he took a stand against a leader, when he knew that he was doing wrong, he didn't care, and he did the right things. The message, I guess, the main message is that we need to stand up when we see that something is done wrong. And we need not worry about the consequences of taking actions. Many times, you know, when you have in in class, you have a bully, for example, and most of the kids won't uh, stand up because they don't want to get bullied themselves. Okay, what you can expect from from kids, you know, but you got bullies in the big arena too. And you got people that are uh, doing things wrong and people don't want to stand up. Some, a lot of times you are risking your integrity, sometimes you risk your good name, sometimes you risk your financial status, sometimes you risk, you know, you whistle blow, you know, you blow the whistle and sometimes, you know, you get into trouble. People most people would rather go with the flow. Most people would rather go with the current and just, uh, you know, not be too 
not make too much noise, not to be too visible, and just look at the world, you know, when it comes to condemning Israel, or it comes, everybody, you know, everybody just goes, you can't find a sane uh, opinion out there, you know, and it just seems like everybody wants to say, you know, what they want to say that pleases, and tries to do, do that, and, you know, eventually, you know, a lot of times, you know, you start saying it so much, you maybe start believing it too. But in any event, the Parsha tells us, I mean, the general story is that you got to stand up, and even if you think that your lineage, you know, you'll, you'll get the lineage. And what does Hashem promise him? Uh, Esther, why don't you continue Pesachit Beis, verse, verse 12? I want to add that Pinchas had the clarity to know what was the right thing to do. That was one. And then he took action. A lot of times we're not sure. Oh, we do the right thing, we don't anything, we'll let everybody say. They had to come with this Pinchas tremendous strength, came tremendous clarity that this was the right thing to do. Not only that, but he took a risk also. He took a risk. If you read the story in Talmud, I don't want to go through the whole details now, but he took a risk. Because this Simri and the people over there could have ganged up and they could have killed him. The Talmud tells us the whole story, how he snuck in there and how he killed him. And there were six miracles that to protect Pinchas so that they didn't gang up on him. Because this was, they weren't, you can see that they weren't. And look, Pinchas is the one that stopped the plague. He protected the Jewish people. Hashem is saying, look at the next verse. Esther is going to read for the next verse. God says to him, the vengeance, what does God promise him? Uh, therefore, say... I hereby give him my covenant of peace. What does this mean, I give him my covenant of peace? I'm making a deal with him. A covenant of peace, as Rashi explains, it means God saying, I owe you one. I owe you one. I owe you a favor because you did me a favor. You did me a favor. What was the favor that he did? Look in the previous verse that that Warren said. What was this said in the previous verse? What did it say? It says, I did not destroy the children of Israel because of my zeal. It is Pinchas that protected the Jewish people. And that's why, because what he did. Can you imagine the Jews are still degrading him, even though he's protected them, because there was a plague, they were all dying. And he stood in and still they're complaining against them. And God is saying, I'm giving him my covenant of peace. Why? Because I didn't destroy you. Which means, had it not been for the intervention of Pinchas, then many, many more Jews could have been killed. I mean, a lot of times when we don't take action and we don't stop, can you imagine if somebody was able to kill Hitler before he could do what he did? Mm. Or somebody can kill Stalin before Stalin did what he did? Or like this, you know, murderers, mass murderers of people who killed? Can you imagine... If somebody got, you know, a lot of times we think it's an act, but if you can stop a terrorist on their way before they can commit their their atrocities, I mean, can you imagine how much lives and how much the world would have been a better place? I mean, again, it's not of our calculation. God has his reasonings that we don't know, but the bottom line is, Pinchas accomplished this because he took action. That was expected that he needed to do. And Hashem, so Hashem says, do one more verse, Esther. Um. It shall be for him and for his descendants after him as an eternal covenant of kahuna because he was zealous for his God and atoned for the children of Israel. says again, zealous for God, he atoned for the children of Israel. How did he atone for them? For them? By taking action. 
because he took action. That's how he told for them. But what did Hashem give him as a gift? To him and to see that afterwards should be a covenant of Kahuna. What does Kahuna mean? Priesthood. The Kohen. Right? Because he was also for God. Now, we said, wasn't Pinchas a Kohen already? Just by the fact that he was Elazar's son, who was Aaron's son? Warren is saying no. no. Why? Because he was he was already alive before Elazar was anointed. That's right. Because he was already alive before he was anointed, so he wasn't a Kohen. This incident, God says, I owe him one, I owe him a favor. Now he became a Kohen. Not only him, but also his descendants after him. So now we incorporated and we included Pinchas together with this Kohanim for the act that he, um, that he took. He and really earned it. He earned it, that's right. Yeah. He earned it because by Chaper al-Bnei Yisrael, that he was able to atone for the Bnei Yisrael. Okay, uh, Michael, let's finish the video. Go ahead further. Who are going to do? Sarah? I just have one page. You don't have anything further than that? No. Fourteen? No. Oh, sorry. Yeah, sure. Oh, okay. The name of the Israelite man who was killed, who was slain with the Midianite woman, was Zimri, the son of Salu, the chieftain of the Simeonite paternal house. Okay, so what does it say? Say it again slowly. The name of the Israelite man who was killed, right. who was slain with the Midianite woman, Right. Was Zimri, the son, that, yeah, Zimri, the son of Salu, the chieftain of the Simeonite paternal house. It's amazing that the previous portion, the Torah conceals, doesn't say names. The Torah hides the names. The Torah writes, there was a man and there was a woman. Doesn't say no names doesn't say who they were. Now all of a sudden over here, after we're giving reward to Pinchas, the Torah comes back and tells you, who was this man that I was talking about before? His name was Zimri ben Salu, the chieftain of the house of the million. Why was the Torah, why did the Torah find it necessary to this point to mention the name? and it didn't say it before. How does it connect to this Pinchas? We're talking about Pinchas receiving his reward. The story already happened. This is about Pinchas. This is not about the story anymore. Because the story took place before. Now we're saying about what took place some time ago. So why would the Torah now all of a sudden tell us the name? Rashi explains... That just like we explained now the lineage of Pinchas for a purpose, because we want to give the good lineage and the important lineage of Pinchas, it is also important for us to give you the bad lineage of the people who caused that also. So the Torah found it necessary not only give us the lineage, but it tells us all the details of the lineage. To tell us, you know, just like when we mention a tzaddik, we want to mention the righteous, we want to mention his good lineage, we also want to mention the evil. But Rashi says another interpretation. That the main reason for saying this is to teach us that although this person was a leader of a tribe, 
It did not stop Pinchas from doing what he needed to do. Although it meant that he had to go ahead and take action against a leader, he still did what he needed to do. And that's why the Torah is coming around now. Because that's specifically important when we're talking about Pinchas' act and the greatness and why he deserves the covenant of peace and why his children became priests. The reason is because he even undertook such a uh, such a task when we're talking about a uh, such an important person. Okay, we'll do one more Pasuk. Next Pasuk. But I want to say is that a grandson of Aaron could take that kind of a role to kill a chieftain from Shimon. You know what I mean? Like, like he wasn't just anybody. He was the grandson of Aaron, Aaron Akoyan. And he says, I will take on a Zimri. I will take on another, a Nasi of a Shevet. So you're saying somebody else could not have done it? Maybe. Maybe. That, that, that's why there wasn't anybody taking action, because everyone says, who's going to start up with a Nasi? Okay, so, a we, so what is the message for us if we don't have a grandfather like Aaron? <laughs> or we do have, actually, Aaron, Moses, all, Abraham is pretty good. Okay, so if we do, so yeah, we could take... We are empowered to still to do up, to do what's what right. Have to right. Do, but, um, okay. Know. And the name of the Midianite woman who was slain was Cosby, the daughter of Tzor, a national leader of a paternal house in Midian. Rashi also explains here, why are we telling us about exactly the details about the woman? Why is it important to tell us the details about the woman? Well, she's pretty important too. That's right, exactly, exactly. To tell us that the they have committed, what happens is the... Uh, Bilam, the uh, prophet, while he did not succeed to curse the Jewish people, he said to uh, the Moabites, he said to them, but I will give you an advice how to get it against the Jews. He says, you get the Jews to commit adultery, you get the Jews to worship idols, you'll get them to stray. And you know, their God doesn't like promiscuous uh, behavior, and that will bring on God's anger, they'll bring it on themselves, because they'll behave in such a way, so God will get angry. And they were actually correct. And as Rashi points out, she was a daughter of a king, and still her father allowed her for these adulterous relationships, as long as she can get uh, the Jewish people to sin. Uh, right, the Gemara actually, Talmud, Talmud tells us that it wasn't just she. Her father placed her uh, and in the uh, prostitution. He placed her in that position so that she should be able to stumble some of the, uh, of the men. But her father told her, Rashi says, and the Gemara says, that you can only stumble the leadership because you're important. You're a daughter of a, of a, of a king. You can't just have a relationship with any, with any Joe Shmo over there. So when the head of the tribe of Shimon requested her, she says, but you, my father doesn't let me have a relationship with you. I have to have a relationship with somebody like Moshe, she says, you know, from the top, not just anybody. And he said, no, 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 no. He says, I'm also a leader, he says. I'm the head of the tribe of Shimon. <laughs> ah, she said, okay, in that case. <laughs> so, in any event... Um, this was, but this this goes to show 
Rashi says the hatred that even a king will allow his daughter to go ahead and try to do these things with, with other men just to get them to have these relationships. And that is, uh, shows you, show, bring down downfall, how much they hate it. That they even give up the, uh, the modesty of their own children just to go ahead and get the other ones to sin. It's worthwhile for them to go ahead and do that. And that's why the Torah teaches you all these things.